Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. It's the season finale of Big Little Lies on Sunday, so make sure to check out our final episode of our live after show with the Ringer's Amanda Dobbins and ESPN's Mina Kimes. You can tune in on Twitter to Big Little Live right after the episode ends. Also, this week's 2019 Open Championship marks the final major championship of the golf season. So check out Fairway Roland, where Joe House is joined by a cast of Ringer and Golf World personalities for everything you need to know heading into the weekend. You can find new episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. Gross Battle Season 1 champion, Mike Long. The king of sad stop. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Trey Kirby. It's Nick Mundy. It's a surreal WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm Shinsuke Nakamura. Zach Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the Goofaraja. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening, you're listening you're, to this. You're too. listening to. And you are listening to. You're listening, you're listening, you're listening, you're listening to the Masked Man Show. 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 Welcome to the Mask Man Show. I'm your host, David Shoemaker. And joining me on the Mask Line, none other than Kenny Herzog. How you doing, Kenny? Oh, I am great, David. How are you? I think I can speak for most wrestling fans when I say I am overwhelmed and overjoyed with an <laughs> overabundance of pro wrestling content. Also, a little bit overtired uh, from watching it all at great length. Um, apologies to all my listeners for there not being an episode last week. I had a surprise trip. I had a, uh, um, a lot of things going on. And at the moment I was about to record, um, something happened outside of the wrestling world. I know, I know nobody cares who's listening to this, but, um, Russell Westbrook got traded to the rock to, to the, um, Houston Rockets. And, um, as the art director of the ringer.com, I suddenly had to swing into action. We did record pieces of an episode. But the episode was sort of lost to history, so maybe, maybe that'll resurface someday because uh, there were some par- some some little tiny things that I I liked a whole lot. Anyway, unless it, unless it burns down in a universal lot fire someday, we'll we can only hope. And that's what yeah. Jim is. Jim is like pulling out a lighter right now. Yeah. Um, Jim, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. How are you? I know you watched a lot of wrestling this week because. Uh, Somebody, you or somebody, no, nobody else has the login to my WWE Network account, and there was a lot of half-watched wrestling that suddenly was in my in my queue. That's me. Half-watched wrestling, Jim. That's that's going to be your new nickname. Um, here's what I want to talk about this week. We've had a lot of wrestling. We had an Evolve special event. We had uh, AEW's Fight for the Fallen, um, the last of their kind of pre-primetime um Big events. I mean, I guess I don't even know. I don't mean prime time like the launch of their show. I mean, like this is the last sort of warm up that they're having before I think we have to start considering them full fledged and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had WWE Extreme Rules, which was a huge event. Um, the sort of that's their they're getting ready their warm up show for uh, SummerSlam, um, and it ended up setting the stage for a lot of what is going to come in Toronto in the month of August for them. Um, so basically, I want to talk about all of these different things. Raw, SmackDown, AEW, even a little bit of Evolve. You can even talk about the G1, although I don't know how much of that you've been watching. Um, it, it's What I've seen has been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I don't sit and watch every second of every match because that's craziness, but I, I, I watch the shows, yes. I think that 
I mean, this is not a, a new or, you know, earth changing idea, but it is really, really cool to see how you can tell stories in wrestling matches and in a tournament setting um, and have them those stories be somehow more compelling than, you know, what we normally think of in WWE terms as stories, you know, right. like the right. the outside of the ring silliness that goes on that, that makes these matches happen. Sometimes the matches just happen and the matches are the stories. Uh, but I do want to start with the biggest news of the week. Uh, and that is, we have a new WWE Universal Champion. You might have heard of him. You, you might be familiar with this guy. You might have actually uh, seen him not too long ago holding that Universal Championship belt. Brock Lesnar is back, folks. He cashed in his money in the bank briefcase um, and and came uh, entered the ring after the Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch versus uh, Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans mixed tag team match and demolished Seth Rollins, pinned him, won the belt. Um, I wrote about it this week. I was so, uh, moved, um, that I thought it just had, something had to be written. I mean, I, it, it brought the, brought my fingers back to the keyboard. It's kind of amazing to me. You, you tell me what you think, Kenny. I mean, my, my first reaction was, you know, Brock Lesnar winning the title is never surprising, but it did feel like a, an answer in search of a question, right? Like, is the, what, what, what should we learn? What, what should we have learned from Brock Lesnar winning? Is it that he, he might be the solution to the bad ratings? Is it that the Seth Rollins experiment has been deemed a failure? Is it that they just want to have Brock Lesnar holding the belt at SummerSlam? Is it, you know, all, some part, portion of all of the above? I mean, what, 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 what was your initial gut reaction when that happened? That lat- I read your column, which, by the way, I personally would have headlined it "Beast Infection," but that's just me. I, <laughs> but I enjoyed all of your all of your punning, um, of course, throughout the article. I would say the latter notion that you just mentioned rings truest that it might just be best to have him having the belt at SummerSlam and not think too deeply into it. Um, I really was ambivalent about it, to be perfectly honest. I kind of, I wasn't, you know, outraged. I wasn't shocked. I wasn't moved too much, period. I just sort of accepted it on its face, because like you said, it's never surprising when Brock Lesnar, you know, becomes the main event. So uh, I... I'm, I really hesitate to read too much into what people are thinking in terms of whether the um, you know, Seth Rollins can be the guy or or not. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I hate to be sort of a void on, uh, on this issue. I just, I'm just waiting and seeing. I, I really yeah, just wasn't. No, I, yeah. I think that's fair, and I don't think I think that, that that there's we have been cast into a void, and that's you know, I mean that 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 sort of describes where we all are. I mean, listen, one thing that we know now that I didn't know when I wrote the piece was that Seth Rollins will be the, the, the challenger for the title at SummerSlam. Uh, and one of the ideas I floated was, I mean, it, this sounds sort of reductive, but like maybe they're just going to run it back. Maybe they think that like maybe it's a sort of a do-over for Rollins. Maybe it's a just a, an internal, uh, you know, truism that like you want your you want the baby face to be working underdog at the big show. You know, I mean, I, I don't. Right. There's a lot of, I mean, none of that is like the right answer, but all of those are like, but those are like potential answers. Um, but yeah, I think that, listen, it's a big, it, it, it's going to pop, it's going to get people's attention when anybody cashes in the briefcase. Um, it's a, and, and it's going to get a lot of, you know, a lot of casual attention. Um, I think when Brock Lesnar is on screen or is, you know, is looming. And I think that probably it is, um, the doing it this way, having him cash in the belt, I mean, cash in the briefcase, win the belt, 
generates more hype than just a than if they right. had just given someone else the briefcase and done the Lesnar versus Rollins rematch at SummerSlam. Because WWE does not have the luxury of thinking, you know, insularly. It has to think about what is going to create the most headlines, what is going to create news outside of just the world of, of wrestling commentariat, um, especially now that they're going to be kind of building anticipation for not just one of their biggest pay-per-views of the year, but their last cornerstone pay-per-view of the year before AEW launches in earnest. Um, so, yeah, I think you might be hitting on something there that it really might just be a matter of, um, you know, of making news. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that one thing that Brock has always had. I mean, Brock has a lot of things going for him. He has, like I mentioned before, the, the kind of mainstream appeal, um, the crossover appeal. He has, as we've learned from various sources of late, he has. I mean, and this is maybe not news, but it's been confirmed that Vince McMahon has a has a specific fascination with him for whatever reason that he just kind of wants to own him and, and put him out there as his, his Andre, the giant, basically he, this is the, this is the supernatural force that is property of, you know, Vincent K McMahon and you mm-hmm. put him in these positions. So there's, that's part of it. Um, and the then, yeah. And, yeah. and then he all, he, he has proven incredibly, uh, I don't know if adept is the right word because I don't know how much of it is Brock Lesnar's doing, but he, but he, he he is one of the best recurring surprises that WWE has available, right? I mean, when he pinned The Undertaker, that was the biggest crossover moment they'd had in a long time, you know? And every time right. he every time he pops up, articles get written, it seems like. And this is a good, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there kind of waiting for something to write about him now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that it's the biggest moment in WWE history, especially now that we know Seth is going to be fighting him at SummerSlam. Um, but, you know, it was a it was a it was a, a big moment on a, and, and, you know, a function, a very functional surprise on Sunday night. And, and Seth Rollins has made very clear in his actions and in his words, um, offline and online and on screen, that he's really the new team player. I mean, in, in some senses, he's comparable to a Cena or even a Miz in that way. He's he's he is going to do what's best for the company, and if that means um, you know that Brock. Uh, is what people are talking about the Monday morning after Extreme Rules. As long as he then gets his, you know, his rematch at SummerSlam and he's in the main event for one of the four biggest shows of the year, you know, that's um, my, that's possibly the um, the bargain he's willing to strike. Yeah. Well, that's not the only. I mean, a couple of things. One that 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 sort of was the icing on the cake for better or worse. Because I mean, honestly, that got a lot of mixed reactions, especially within the diehard internet wrestling community fan base I and mean, people I don't think were particularly excited to see Brock back with the belt. Um, we were all sort of exhausted by the Brock championship by the time it, it was over. But for better or worse, that was the icing on the cake of what otherwise we'd be talking about as a pretty great WWE pay-per-view. I mean, that that probably would have been the lead story any other week to just like look at all these big things, you know, all these good matches. There wasn't a standout like five-star classic. Um but there was a lot of good stuff that I was like by like every every time every every time a match ended, I sort of had like already forgotten that two matches ago I was like jotting down notes about how good the match was. Yeah, yeah. WWE has a very deep bench right now, when people and the guys are all healthy, and it might have been a mistake for AEW to um, be so audacious as to schedule this, uh, you know, not 
real pay-per-view event virtually side-by-side with um, an event that's become of increasingly, uh, of increasing importance scheduling-wise to WWE because it was pretty striking. The contrast was pretty striking. It looked, you know, AEW's talent looked, um, or a roster felt comparatively sort of thin and, and their um, creative options had sort of exhausted themselves much quicker in the, uh, in the course of planning Fight for the Fallen, I think, than what WWE had in its arsenal. So it actually, they might have, might have done WWE a service in that, in that sense with the contrast. And yeah, I mean, look, anytime Ricochet and AJ Styles and Aleister Black and Zaro and, and guys like that are going at it, um, just they have to continue to find ways to make those kind of matchups happen and, and without being redundant. And that's their challenge. There was a big contrast and we're going to talk about AEW in just a bit, but I want to run through, make sure we get to everything. I'm going to run through the extreme rules card. We're, we're going to touch on where all these things are headed and, and kind of what I'm most interested this week, since we're already on the downhill slope towards WWE SummerSlam. Everybody's really excited about going to Toronto, by the way, everybody that I talked to, I don't think I'll be going to Toronto. I will never go be going to Toronto, probably. Be- because you're a criminal and they don't let you cross the border. That's correct. But but we have that. And we and like you just said, AEW Fight for the Fallen is the last of their sort of non-big show shows. Um, and now we're setting, the, we're setting the table for the TNT show, the weekly show, and, and, and All Out, um, their next Gigano pay-per-view. Or I guess it's a pay-per-view spectacular. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a lot of jockeying for position going on right now, and I just kind of wanted to break it all down and see who's in position, who's in a better position now, uh, as we record this on Wednesday afternoon, than they were a week ago, a month ago. Um, yeah, who's gonna who who who's gonna be who who's kind of rounding the corner towards you know this next big the big wrestling fall that we have ahead of us with a lot of steam, um, starting with Extreme Rules. Uh, one of the big surprises of the night actually came at the very beginning of the night before a lot of people were watching when uh, Shinsuke Nakamura beat Finn Balor for the IC championship. Um, word came out shortly afterwards that Balor had asked for some time off. Um, it always seems uh, very ominous when you see that headline, but it seems like he just kind of wants to take a month or two off between between SummerSlam and Survivor Series or something just to recharge his batteries. Um, I don't know. What, what, do you, what do you think about the Nakamura uh, era of the IC title? I think it's overdue that Nakamura um, becomes a, you know, multi-time, multi-title, you know, presence in WWE. So at least if and when his time ends, you know, we can look, he can look back and say, um, it, you know, it was uh, not for not. I didn't, I have to be perfectly honest. You know, I'm at this point become customary for me to not necessarily tune in um, in real time to the, to the kickoff show. Maybe this is a way of just, you know, um, holding us further captive for future pay-per-views that we, you know, are compelled to watch every kickoff show. Um, as far as Balor taking time off, that makes sense. Cause I was thinking, is he going to enter into something in earnest with Bray Wyatt now? But um, yeah. something about that didn't. Yeah. So he was yeah. a good patsy or for a lame duck for that. Yeah. I think that that's what we got. I mean, I think that we're going to see Mike, if I had to guess, I would say, say we're going to have Nakamura, um, you know, defending the belt going forward, obviously, and then Balor is going to be is going to be the punching bag for Bray Wyatt uh, for this first month, and maybe we'll see you know Finn Balor return Survivor Series time to have a little Demon versus Bray Wyatt showdown or something to that effect. 
Um, oh, yeah, that's, that's very possible. Or he could just we, disappear into smoke after this week. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. I mean, or he could, or, or he might just pull out the, I mean, for all we know, just because the, the demon, um, you know, is, is a little bit uh, less mystical um, after his last appearance than, than he was before. So maybe the demon will pop up at, I mean, we'll just go ahead and wrestle at SummerSlam and, and he'll get, he'll, he'll, he'll take his first L. I mean, as the demon, obviously. Um, right. There's a lot of opportunities there, um, but but now's as good a time as any to talk about it. Um, Bray Wyatt's back, baby. Bray Wyatt in mm-hmm. full, like uh, uh, you know, mid two. I mean, mid 2010s Joker garb with his with weird <laughs> skin pulled across his face and leather jacket, striped pants, green looking dreadlocks. Uh, well, I mean, what? Uh, I mean, it was awesome to see him. It was a great appearance, and it was cool to see him back. He looks like he's in great shape. I feel like I say this every time somebody pops up. What was your what, what was your takeaway from Monday night's, uh, I mean, yeah, Monday night's return of Bray Wyatt? My biggest takeaway was that he looked in great shape, which he's looked in great shape ever since previewing coming back. Uh, but I, that, that's, that goes a long way toward reintroducing somebody. Now, otherwise, I don't know, from the waist down, he looked like a member of Gogol Bordello. From the waist <laughs> up, you know, from the waist up, he had some like, yeah, kind of... Uh, Hot Topic Halloween blowout kind of thing happening. So that's me as a jaded adult who can separate, you know, reality from non-reality and horror from from dress up. But I was was not willing to let my son watch it. So they're obviously going in some kind of that's I mean, that's too too dark for your son. Well, that's a whole narrative into unto itself. That really, the last few weeks have been either too dark or too um, profane, or, or or you know, too provocative for me to feel like I can now let my son continue to watch it. So they're clearly moving away post this uh, Heyman announcement. Even if he's not steering things yet, away from the PG era. That's a whole other thing. But Bray Wyatt is maybe the biggest test of that, and um, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, if if they throw their um, their lot in with uh, with whatever his success might be in appealing to a, to a more mature audience. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. It it is an interesting test case, but there's always been the you know tension in in all walks of life about how you know our American children seem to be watching horror movies at the age of four, and and but you know they can't see a bare chest until they're eighteen or whatever. Um, <laughs> so there, I mean, I guess all that is to say that there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, storytelling devices that Paul Heyman and WWE and the Attitude Era employed that that will probably be more problematic than just Bray Wyatt being frightening uh, on a, on a broader scale. But yes, oh yeah, it would just give him nightmares. I think that's right, I th- and I think it'll be it'll be interesting, uh, you know, the whole thing to see where they go. Listen, Bray Wyatt for years has been he's not you know a failure is not the right, right word for it, but he's he's sort of been the litmus test for like the, the, how WWE's creative is going you know i mean if when, when bray wyatt is really clicking it, it seems like things go okay overall you know say what you will about the john cena era writ large but like their inability to make him work over the past several years i mean injuries notwithstanding has kind of become a symbol for you know their creative dysfunction in a lot of ways um, and now he's back he's got a whole new reboot and he's got you know the weight of the company behind him this feels like a must-win situation almost. I mean, but not to make it sound so dire. I think he's going to get all the opportunity in the world, but I think that he's, you know, this is this is a big moment for him, and but, but for the company overall. And I don't think this needs to be about championships. I think that's a big, that's one of, they've been, been one of the problems with Bray is when it felt like 
it was all or nothing. If he doesn't become champion soon, then he's a failure. It was misconstruing um, what made him potentially so special. Now this is just about him, you know, just absolutely um, menacing and stalking and harassing uh, competition for for months. Uh, you know, I, I really don't. I'm not. I don't even think title aspiration should enter into the picture because that instantly makes him sort of more mortal, which was mm-hmm. one of the issues in the first place when he was supposed to be this uh, omniscient, you know, boogeyman. Yeah, I almost wrote a piece. And to, by that, I mean, I started writing the lead for a piece um, a couple weeks ago, actually, about how the quest, the, and this is more of a fan side thing than a WWE side thing, because no one there has ever said it out loud, but the quest to find the next Undertaker has actually become, become one of the great boondoggles in pro wrestling history. Um, <clears throat> and I think that that has hampered Bray Wyatt more than anything else. I mean, it's one thing to be like, yeah, he slides into that role in a couple of fronts, but like... What made the Undertaker the Undertaker was much more than being spooky, you know, or having supernatural abilities, or um, even being a WrestleMania mainstay. It was just it was a it was a level of charisma and longevity and 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 institutional um, uh, just the con- control of the of the entire institution of WWF WWE that that uh, that that it took a long time from become the Undertaker. You don't just get to be assigned the role of the Undertaker like you can be assigned the role of like scrappy underdog. Um, but and but it's affected him, and I think you know. Hopefully, it doesn't affect um, Alistair Black, who we'll talk about soon. And you know, I mean, there was a part of me that was watching on Sunday, and I was just like, "Are, are have we just been missing this altogether?" and the the next Undertaker as as painful I mean as as hard as it's going to be for some people to hear is the next Undertaker the guy that was tag teaming tagging with him on Sunday I mean is the next Undertaker just Roman Reigns is he going to be the guy holding down WrestleManias for the next decade Well in 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 that comparison you could compare Roman Reigns to other people not just the Undertaker, because the, the Undertaker is all about those intangibles and the aura. So if you're talking strictly about the person who's been holding down the main event of Mania, you could, you could then, again, you know, be comparing Roman Reigns to John Cena or whoever. Um, I, I see your point. I see your point. It's, I, I know you're not being super literal in saying, is he the next, is he the next Undertaker <laughs> character? Um, but I liked what you were, tr- I liked what the point you were making about them trying to find the next Undertaker in terms of that, um, that character that just is um, unknowable until he's, you know, utterly knowable, but nothing is lost. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and listen, pro wrestling has a long, rich history of gimmick swiping, of you know, all kinds of just uh, pseudo replacements for different for different performers. A guy in territorial area m- moves down the road, you can just find a guy that's sort of like him to take a spot if you really, you know, if he was doing well and you wanted to keep that going. Um. Ric Flair, I mean, everybody remembers Nature Boy Buddy Landell sort of being fake Ric Flair, but, you know, Ric Flair ripped his style from a lot of people that came before him, not least Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. And, um, you know, there's, it's okay to, it's, it's wrestling, all it has, there's a lot of guys who are the next fill in the blank in wrestling that have been successful, but this is a different era and this is a whole different search. But anyway, going back to the extreme rules. Oh, I did want to say one thing about Nakamura before we get all the way off of it, which is a lot of people were wondering why he re-signed with WWE when he was a free agent. And I think the answer that sort of became conventional wisdom is he just sort of liked his quality of life and he likes surfing and he likes, you know, whatever he, he's, 
he's you know being being the Michael Jordan of pro wrestling is not necessarily the number one priority for him. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think, but I also think that there's something really. I mean, WWE. The argument against it is that he'd been wasted by WWE for all this time. But I think, especially in the AEW era. There's going to be some people like the revival to get these giant pushes to convince them to stay, but there's going to be even more people that only get pushes when they resign, you know, and that and because you have to have the certainty that they're going to be around, and um, and maybe we're seeing a little bit of that that kind of reward system with Nakamura getting the belt. So what you're saying is WWE just plays a game of chicken with its, with its <laughs> personnel. I think that that's possible. We have a lot of matches to get through here, so I'm just going to start tearing through these things. There's, I don't want to talk about everything. I do want to talk about Roman Reigns, and I just mentioned it, and uh, Shane and and the Undertaker versus Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. I thought this was a really fun match. I thought that Undertaker looked great, especially considering the last time we saw him. Um, and Roman Reigns looked good, Shane McMahon looked good, and Drew McIntyre. I would put in the great category as well. I think that if we end up with an Undertaker Drew McIntyre showdown at SummerSlam or at um, uh, you know WrestleMania, even I think that I mean I I think I I, I was buying into Drew McIntyre over the course of that match. I, I will not disagree about oh, basically everything you just said, but we know how I feel about a certain combatant in that particular match. And <laughs> You're talking you about Shane McMahon, dis- yeah. Yeah, and you can imagine my disappointment when he inserted himself immediately in things again, you know, at the outset of SmackDown. Whatever. Uh, yes, I think that match served a higher purpose, which was... Um, Let's you you talked before about essentially um, rolling things back maybe with Rollins, kind of resetting or, or what have you. I think there might have been almost a reset or a redoing of the moment between these two a few WrestleManias ago, where now was the crowd, the fans were ready for Undertaker to pass that torch, and they did it with a little subtle gesture this time. It wasn't as grandiose as him leaving his. Uh, you know, his wardrobe in the center of the ring, like the uh, melted Wicked Witch of the West. It was, um, you know, it was a traditional little, little, you know, you've done good pat on the chest and we were ready for it. And now that's closure. Sometimes the pat on the chest is more, is more uh, significant than, than going out, than, than lying down for somebody. Right. Because, um, even though we all know that wins and losses don't really matter in the real world, I mean, as, as wrestling relates to reality, um, we still have to deal with like the pain of watching the Undertaker lose, and that rubs off negatively on his opponent. In this case, Roman Reigns at that WrestleMania match. Um, sometimes just having that little the, the 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 old guy young guy tag team gets a lot of that work done without the ill will. Yep, bingo. Uh, you mentioned Shane McMahon. You mentioned his his uh, you know opening the show on on Tuesday. I will say this: the first time I ever saw Kevin Owens. At that point, obviously known as Kevin Steen, I went to a Ring of Honor show, I think at the Hammerstein Ballroom, and he was like in the ring, getting fired and cutting a pro, getting fired by Jim Cornette, cutting a promo, coming back from being fired by Jim Cornette. But anyway, just like pipe bombing Jim Cornette, basically. And my reaction, like so many other idiots uh, who were not following Ring of Honor religiously at the time, was like, "Who is this fat CM Punk wannabe?" Um, <laughs> and it was only after that that you know I I saw I actually got into him as a wrestler and I was I think in the exact same venue to see his ladder war with El Generico, which is still one of my favorite matches of all time. I saw him in that same venue getting uh, I mean I saw him suplex uh, uh, Steve Carino off of the top rope onto a guardrail, which I was the closest thing I've ever seen to a public murder, um, <laughs> and. Uh, utterly fell in love with the guy and his work in WWE has 
in in a lot of ways been superior um, than this, you know some of the stuff that I saw. I just think not maybe not superior, but he's excelled on the big stage to a degree that no one, at least I would never have guessed. Some guys just have that 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 thing, but. The whole point is that I, I, the first thing I said was, you know, when I saw him was CM Punk related. And, and now, um, say what you will about Shane McMahon, but the story, just like when CM Punk started staring down John Cena, at least the story is now that none of us like Shane McMahon. And that was kind of the story with CM Punk and Cena. And that made Cena a more viable character. Yeah. Right. 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 Do you think that can work? Do you think that'll work for Shane as much as you dislike him? <laughs> I think it's a good way to kind of end that chapter of, of this era of WWE. Like, you know, the same way that there was a more satisfying closure to what happened with Taker and Reigns this time versus at WrestleMania 33. I think this, um, be, as opposed to the idea being that Shane is supposed to give other people the rub or something, you know, the, the idea that he, we leave him on a note where he... Um, felt like he was there for a reason, <laughs> and then life carries on. Yes. I, I'm okay with that. You know, rather than necessarily just cutting the cord abruptly, you can't put it back in the box. You know, this 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 horse is out of the barn. All those cliches. I just I think sometimes what it comes down to with, with Shane for me is I don't actually think he's. And I'm not talking about his commitment to the in ring you know, athletics. I'm talking about just as a performer overall, I don't think he's that great a performer. And so it's, it just takes me out of things. And his stupid sneakers and his stupid coats and his profuse sweating and his giant neck and his, all of, all of, okay, I don't, I don't, what can I say? I'm not a fan. I don't know why. I know that like many fans, I have a kind of a bizarre fascination with, with gang warfare sort of. And I, and I, I just really like when, uh, I I just like I liked it when Elias popped up on Sunday as just to the point that we had kind of decided he probably wasn't part of the stable anymore, but now he is. I just I part of me just wants Shane to get a stable together of like five or six guys, and they're all just like long haired guys, like long haired white guys with beards, and uh, <laughs> just to like so Shane clearly has a look that he's going for, but he refuses to admit it, and maybe that becomes a joke. Uh, they could call it the Shane O'Pack. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> okay. Well worth it. That pun was worth everything. Thank you. Anyway, just get Tony Nese on SmackDown is what I'm saying and, and, and make him part of that fashion. <laughs> but anyway, I thought I think it'll be interesting to see where they go with this. I mean, I think where they're going is is sort of obvious, but it's it'll be fun, you know, to see where we're going. The other obvious evocation here is Stone Cold Steve Austin and Shane's dad, Vince. Um, the fact that 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 uh, Owens is using the stunner now um, on the regular is a as is you know it seems to be feel like no coincidence, um, right? And you know if the the degree to which they have allowed us to hate Shane McMahon, um, if this was the goal, it's been successful, and we are all going to be very excited to see Kevin Owens get this rub of you know showing Shane the door at SummerSlam or you know whenever that comes to pass. I, I guess there could be, you know, it could be harmless and it's mutual, um, you know, benefits to, to, you know, both, both sides. Although I know that there has been some consternation among some of the internet wrestling community that Shane and Kevin Owens is but one of several storylines that is essentially has recycled itself from two years ago at this point. 
Oh, even yeah. though even though the circumstances are who different. was it? Alvar Brian Alvarez or somebody laid it all out. Like literally, like ever, like all of our storylines are exactly where they were two and a half years ago, which is fine. I mean, there's more of a, a blip than anything else. But um, I said that in my piece this week. I mean, there's no, WWE likes nothing more than mulligans. Like when they get when they when they're just like, you know what? We never really did. We never really paid. We never really got Roman Reigns that WrestleMania moment we thought he deserved. So let's just let's just rebook it. You know, let's just do it again and. Uh, you know, maybe they had some good ideas from two years ago with Shane and Kevin Owens. They haven't they haven't gone through with yet. And listen, I mean, I think that the big takeaway, if we want to let's be let's take the positive spin on this, is that Kevin Owens is getting this shot, right? Kevin Owens is going to be the last guy that stares down Shane McMahon if the story goes the way that we think it's going to go. You know, Kevin Owens is getting this big. Kevin Owens is 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 now officially in the guy in the the main event guy who doesn't need a title territory that you were talking about earlier, and I think that's a right, that's a right. that's a real positive for him and for us as fans, right? So how do you keep this up without him having to play the the hero in the most you know mundane sense? Is the question once life moves on from you know an easy target like like Shane? Uh, I mean, it'll be interesting. I think that if if there's anything, you know, it remains to be seen how much control the Bischoff and and uh, and Heyman are going to have. But I think that if there were, if one thing that you hear fans talking about for that you've heard fans talking about forever that that you know a a, a powerful um, new uh, new a couple of powerful new voices on the creative side could really put over is the idea that we we don't really need faces and heels in the traditional sense anymore. Um, obviously they still exist for storytelling purposes and whatever else, but like, you know, Kevin Owens is the sort of guy that doesn't need to be kissing babies when he's a baby face and, uh, he doesn't need to be, you know, drawing blood when he's a heel. Uh, he's just Kevin Owens. And I think that, um, you know, he's, whatever rub he gets from this will just kind of allow him to continue being the sort of voice of, I mean, voice of the voiceless, I guess is taken, but he's, he's just sort of. You know the current straight talker, straight shooter in in WWE, and I think that that's I think that that's uh, you know an important role. I mean, for, and, and talking about the Undertaker and various other archetypes that need to be constantly roles that need to be filled. Um, you know, the brash loudmouth is one of the biggest roles that that modern pro wrestling needs. So I'm you know I'm I'm hopeful that this will help propel him as as much as it will sort of close the book on the Shane McMahon era of WWE. Um, it, it, yeah, and, uh, and if Kevin Owens can can come out of this with the, the name Kevin Owens um, standing apart, you know, just kind of having this cachet that you know, hearing the name Steve Austin or Daniel Bryan did, apart from um, how they're contextualized within what's happening in, in WWE world at that moment, and that's a big deal, friend. It's true. Um, the revival beat the Usos. Uh, I'm sure we'll see more of that going on. Aleister Black finally re-debuted and beat Cesaro in a 10-minute match that was just fantastic. They ran it back on SmackDown. Uh, it was pretty good there. But, um, man, I could see watch those two guys wrestle every night of the week, and I would tune in for it. Um, th- that was a whole lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Bailey, uh, I guess somewhat surprisingly, prevailed over Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss. I say surprisingly because it seemed like the storyline going forward was going to be about Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss. Um, and now Bailey's going to be, as a, I mean, said literally said the words, "My uh, the, the Alexa Bliss chapter is closed, and she's moving on to Ember Moon as her opponent at SummerSlam, which is, I guess, cool for Ember Moon if a little bit lacking in the storytelling department. But hey, I was the guy just extolling the virtues of in-ring storytelling a la the G1. 
Braun Strowman or Bobby Lashley? That was fun. Uh, the ending I thought was an enormous, was a great idea that was just a just ridiculously bad execution. Although I know mileage <laughs> may vary, a lot of people seem to really like it, but I just don't understand the premise of the body slam from the from the rafters or whatever being obscured immediately upon it beginning. It's does that, does that make any sense? No, it does. Like they immediately fell into darkness. If the fall had literally been three feet, if they had. I mean, like, presumably the cushions that they landed on were, like, 15 feet down. But the way they had the whole thing set up, the cushions could have been two feet down. Like, it, like there was nothing, like, let them fall through the air on camera a little bit before they fall into, you know, cushiony darkness, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting, um, very, like, sort of specific observation about it. I think just, you know, in broadly speaking, uh, I think maybe they have... Um, kind of overplayed the, uh, you know, slamming guy through, you know, <laughs> through like stage set up, through equipment set up off, you know, off stage left or whatever, or in the stands. I I, I think maybe we maxed out on that with Shane and, and Miz, you know, a, a few months ago. Cool. Um, I, we all know it's, it's stunt work. That's you all know, I'm trying to say. And listen, you can't always one up yourself, but if they had just reversed these spots, if they had just had this be the spot, for the setup and then had them go through the Titan Tron or whatever, go through the wall for this match, but have Braun walk away victorious. Like that, but that might've been just better for everyone. Um, well, that's fair. I, cause yeah, if, if the idea is we're going to keep on upping ourselves, they, they failed to do that here. And also listen, I don't, I, I'm the last person to ever call for anyone to be fired wrestlers, but particularly people that have uh, you know, work a day jobs uh, anywhere, but man, whoever built that, like, barn fence and pretended that was part of, of the the railing of the of the arena that they that Braun kicked open and magically I mean it didn't like there there was other parts of the railing right there next to it you could see what it was supposed to look like and what he kicked open was made out of wood like it was like spray painted like blanks of wood it was that was ridiculous um don't fire whoever did that but but ask them to reconsider uh their, their performance review. Yeah, their, their performance review needs to touch on that. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> well, I'm sure they'll they'll address it in there. The uh, new day in, in their next. I, I actually thought the triple threat tag match for the SmackDown belt was really well done because I went in saying it had to be Otis and Tucker. It had to be Heavy Machinery winning, not because. I thought they were the most, you know, that they were the best necessary choice, but uh, necessarily the best choice. But I thought that in order to legitimize a fairly meager SmackDown tag team division, they needed to be established as legitimate. But they managed to establish them as legitimate, I think, in the course of that match, um, and then put the belts on the New Day anyway, which led to that New Day has all the belts moment we have been waiting for. And also, the other half of my prediction, which obviously never made it to air, is the. Uh, is that Daniel Bryan needed a reset, and I think we saw that kind of happening on Tuesday night. Business about him maybe going to 205 Live? Is that what's going on? Is that a rumor? That's a, Okay, let me rewind this. So I, it was something that somebody mentioned to me on Twitter last night, and it didn't, uh, it didn't occur to me, but then all of a sudden I had this, something about it felt vaguely familiar as if maybe I had seen that that was a consideration. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. That's, I'm, going off, I'm going off absolutely nothing solid here, but it, I did think, wow, well, that would be actually sort of brilliant if he was like, I'm so, you know, if he was going to pull up Billy Madison, essentially. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and, spend, and be what Pac, what Pac slash Neville Pac, yeah. was in the 205 live roster before he, you know, before he abruptly parted that ways. Is, that is really I interesting. Know, I have no, I don't, nobody quote me on this. It's just something I heard. 
I mean, it would also probably behoove. I mean, you know, I have a long-standing bit about how I always thought two hundred five live would be better if it was two hundred five and three hundred five live because the everybody's favorite match is little guys versus big guys, and they could just, <laughs> just leave out the most like the the middle chunk of the main roster, but just have the big fat guys and the tall guys fighting little you know fighting luchadors. That would be a great show. Um, so no you, Ryder and Hawkins. They're never going to wrestle again. Exactly. You know, no Roman Reigns okay. is no whatever. Just the just the little guys and the giant guys, and then. But this would actually leave that up. That would open up the door for you know if if Brian's there with Rowan, you know Rowan's maybe not an official part of the roster, but guys would could challenge him to fights. You know they'd be like, I'm tired of you interfering in my matches. Let's just do this. And that why couldn't that be on two hundred five live, unsanctioned or whatever? Um, well, so listen, if, I'm I'm all for if, it. If he if he uh, yeah, this is all speculative. But if he were to do that and went to that show and Rowan was there still as his muscle and they just were bullying people around, that would be kind of amazing. It would be, you know knowing that it would just be temporary. I digress. This is big going off of absolutely nothing solid. Well, going off of nothing, I like where you're going with it. Um, they do just need to rebrand that show because it's gotten better and better, and there's a lot of talent down there. But I think it's still just hamstrung by the insinuation that it's like a you know weaker class of performers, and it's sort of silly in this day and age when like a solid third of the SmackDown roster and some of the Raw roster and like 90% of the NXT roster probably get, you know, aren't, aren't, go, aren't running out there at more than 210. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, I, I think that, man, if they just called that Evolve, and like I said, well, I'll mention Evolve in a second, but um, if, they, you know, if they called that Evolve or anything else, it would just feel like a wonderful new world of pro wrestling opportunity. Anyway, moving on. Speaking of wonderful new worlds, um, AJ Styles beat Ricochet, uh, the club is a thing, and they have a belt, um, the U- the the U.S. Championship belt, to be precise. Um, I like what they're doing, man. I mean, it's I guess that this is the the problem with the with the club, you know, as it evokes the Bullet Club and it evokes the NWO before it and everything else is that they're going to be dogged with fantasy booking about getting new members, be it you know uh, Finn Balor, so obviously with his history with those crew with that crew. Um, but even people are talking about Ricochet joining up with them. And, you know, like, I feel like every time I see see them mentioned online, people are fantasy booking them. And I think that unless they go the route of the NWO or they keep getting new members, that that's just going to be what people talk about. And they're just disappointed that it never happens. Am I cre- Am I overthinking this? No, no. You're, look, you're more in, uh, you got your ear to the ground more with these things. I really didn't know that that's um, been people's you know, wish for this or assumption about this. I just have taken it pretty much at face value outside of wanting, yeah, the fantasy of Finn Balor to be involved somehow to come true, um, whether as a rival or, or, you know, a supreme ally, I don't know. Uh, I, I, um, mostly don't like the, the way it sounds when they call them the club. I'm not nitpicking or being sarcastic. I just, it just, it sounds like an, an, it sounds like a knockoff of Bullet Club, which is what it is, you know, and yeah. it sounds like it's cut off at the knees from being the Bullet Club, which is what, what it is, not in its presence when they're out there in the ring, but in referring to it as that, unless they're going to, you know, go all the way and just call, have them do a um, a tandem finishing move with all three of them called the Club Sandwich, but that's, that's about <laughs> it. Yeah. All right, can't do, I can't top that. Uh, we got to wrap up this card. Kevin Owens over Dolph. We talked about Kofi over Samoa Joe. Looks like we're maybe steering towards Kofi versus um, versus Randy Orton after SmackDown at SummerSlam, which is a good sort of legitimizing match for Kofi. Um, but it seems like we've kind of gone through. We're, we're, we'll be at the end of his legitimization at that point, and we'll need to figure out you know some more fun long term storytelling for the, for him. Quick comment that you know the the New Day having all three belts thing. I think it's a huge. Um, 
moment for them, another another sort of um, uh, inscription in their legacy that now they transcend is kind of a stable, essentially, by having all those belts. They're beyond yeah. just being a three-person tag team or Kofi and the two other guys. Now they're a dynasty. That's for real. And I think I saw I think I saw somebody say that on at least some of the WWE platforms, Kofi is referred to as a both a tag team champ and a and the WWE champion because of the Freebird rules are perpetually in effect when it comes to the New Day and the tag team belt. So that's pretty awesome. Um, and then we talked about the Brock Lesnar thing, the main event with Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch over Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. I think the best thing about this for Seth Rollins uh, and Becky Lynch is that um, the Brock Lesnar thing sort of subsumed the their their tag team union, um, which I thought could only end badly for them, or at least only end, end in villainy for them. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, but I, I wrote this in the piece that I just don't think I don't. There's no track record for like that sort of them uh, th- those sorts of uh, real life couples being baby faces on screen except for i don't know Johnny Gargano or i mean like there it's just you can't be at the highest level you can't be that good looking you can't be the best at what you do and not have everybody <laughs> just sort of roll their eyes at you i just don't think it's possible maybe i'm just like maybe i'm too much of a hater um no i saw i saw that you had you know proposed that and i really didn't know what i really i wasn't sure where i leaned on it uh, i just I just don't really like, I just think it's sort of childish when they start, um, um, actually like, like get this, a room kind of stuff for me yeah, when, when, boy, yes. when real life boyfriend and girlfriend are teaming together. I think that what they did with the story was actually good. I think that the way that they told, for most of what they did with Becky Lynch sort of, you know, slapping, I mean, going after Corbin and just sort of like, you know, them sort of defending one another's honor and whatnot. I thought that was, those stories were well told. I just don't know. I guess this is one of those stories that I would have preferred to just like stay off screen. It can stay on WWE's social media account. I'm not trying. I'm not talking about kayfabing at all. But like, does that really need to be your Extreme Rules main event? I don't know. I think it's a question of need. I don't think it needed to be. No. For, and I said this in my piece too. Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans uh, have taken a bunch of well-deserved flack from me, but more so from others. But man, they both had defining moments in that match. Baron Corbin when he. Um, attacked Becky Lynch and then pointed at a fall a fallen Seth Rollins in the corner and said what are you going to do about it you piece of shit and which was just an yeah. incredible like that is Baron Corbin's highlight reel from now on uh and then Lacey <laughs> Evans who had a really I mean Lacey Evans who's um you know I think was not quite ready for prime time when she got called up I don't think anybody has any problem seeing what what WWE sees in her, um but that doesn't necessarily work to her benefit both of them both Corbin and Evans have the vibe of you know, I guess the thing that makes a great heel in the modern era, which is people thinking that like the front office is more into you than any of us fans are. Um, but Lacey Evans, when she she you know has not always been a hundred percent in the ring. There sometimes there've been some some bugs, but when she hit that moonsault, that beautiful springboard moonsault, and then came up with the bloody mouth, which she already had, but it was she just grinned a bloody smile to the to the camera. That moment, I thought, I mean that that well. That was a moment that will stay with me forever, and, and that's being to some degree camera ready. You know, just like Lynch was when she seized the opportunity to to, to revel in her b- broken face, and um, and maybe that Corbin line was an improv, or maybe he was directed to just let it fly because they've been doing that more often on the, the last few weeks. Um, but I, I always thought people have been a little tough on Lacey Evans of late. I really didn't know why. I will say that. There's another case of you talking about the Mulligan thing where, you know, they kind of just redid the Eva Marie. I'm going to come out and, and grace you with my presence and then walk backstage. They, mm-hmm. they kind of were doing that with the Lacey Evans buildup, but Lacey actually got to follow through on it. And 
Eh, I, you know, I, I, I guess, yeah, we'll see. Um, see what they do. Um, ne- see where they go next with that with that whole thing. Um, yeah, yeah, and with both of them, I think that they've both, you know, they'll they'll probably do better as like working in the shadow of Brock Lesnar as the top heel, but. Um, it took them a while. To, it took them a while, but if, the, if that's any indication, maybe they finally found a footing for these to be two really effective uh, performers for WWE. Um, I think overall, obviously, Brock Lesnar's uh, uh, you know in the plus column after that night. I'm just going to run run through again real quick. And this is people who are people who are coming out ahead. Brock Lesnar come out come has come out ahead. I think uh, AJ Styles and definitely Gallows and Anderson as his muscle are way ahead from where they were a couple weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. Cedric Alexander, I'm just running through the raw results, is obviously ahead, but so is Drew McIntyre. Um, Bray Wyatt is obviously in the plus column. Um, who else? Natalia. Oh, yeah, Natalia. I didn't even, I totally forgot about that. Natalia, Natalia's in the plus column. That'll be, you know, Natalia is, if they can, if they can, if they can find a way to make, to, you know, to get a little story in there, um, that could be a really fun one. Although, you know, it, we now are, we have these kind of parallel, uh, matches of respect and the two women's matches heading into SummerSlam. Exactly. Presumably, they'll have, presumably they'll find a way to spice one or both of those up. Um, You're not over the moon about them. I'm sorry that we don't have more time to talk about the Miz and Dolph Ziggler who fought on Monday and then Dolph kind of went back to his, his regular role on Tuesday. Well, I'm sure, hopefully, I love them both. Hopefully, I'll have more to talk about them in the future. Um, and then, of course, Rollins is back to where he kind of was uh, at least you know he's back to where he was a week ago. Basically, he doesn't have the belt, but he's on top of Raw and and uh, and back to definitely where he was before WrestleMania. I really enjoyed that ten man battle royal uh, to to close Raw. The, the selection of wrestlers I thought was a really one of those really fun sort of moments that defines what the top of the card is, or the, you know the top of the roster is. Um, I, I think it was very effective for that, but I wanted to fit in that I think they could have still gotten some more story out of that battle royal because if the end result is just that Seth gets his rematch we almost could have skipped the whole thing that's all I'm going to say it's true it's true it would have been nice I almost would have rather them do a have done a you know no, no, a, no, a, a no contest there's some sort of thing with like two guys remaining in the ring and, and we have to have the, the final match down the road so we could have appreciated sort mm. of the whole thing more sort of like Brock winning at Extreme Rules where you forgot everything that came before it uh, this did sort of feel like the whole thing was part of a fait accompli sort of practice um, to to get Seth back in that position, but anyway, um, and then over on SmackDown, Alistair Black is obviously in the plus 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 column. Liv Morgan has a flash of life, a spark of life, uh, and had and had a pretty interesting match against Charlotte Flair. It was good to see some new blood there. Um, and then Daniel Bryan is doing something interesting as we discussed. That's definitely a plus. Uh, Randy Orton back in a Randy Orton-y role, and then. Uh, Kabuki Warriors are your new t- women's tag team champions. Uh, apparently, they're really reinvested in that whole thing. We will see. Apollo Cruz is getting a little look against Andrade. It's a, a small plus, and then Kevin Owens is in the giant plus category. Uh, we got to move off this. We got to get to. Uh, we got to get to AEW. Um, there's this was a fight for the fallen was not a major show, and I've talked about this a million times before. But but W. I mean AEW. I think. My impression is that they were caught a little bit flat-footed by the excitement that that attended both Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen. That both were supposed to be relatively minor shows, but people were stoked for them as if they were, you know, the next double or nothing. Um, and they kind of had to work overtime to, to to put together cool matches to make it to make them seem, you know, relatively significant uh, or, or to, to you know give us a look into what's to come. 
Uh, hopefully, you'll be writing about that for the for the Ringer later this week. This whole what's to come for AEW thing. <laughs> but um, did you have like who do you who were to 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 you? I mean, were there any big winners from uh, Fight for the Fawn that you want to that you want to touch on? Um, wow. I, you know, I, I don't think they spoiled the opportunity to have the Rhodes brothers, um, you know, compete. They could have saved that if they wanted, but I think we can revisit it again. I think it might be, yeah. an, you know, a no brainer headlining uh, story, you know, in the early weeks of, of, of the TNT show. Um, I don't know. I, to me, it was just a neutral show. It wasn't, I got the impression because I didn't, I wasn't able to watch it until either later that night or the next night or something like that. And I got the impression just from scanning social media that people were disappointed and I was expecting the worst. And really the only major, um, you know, kind of uh, the major mistake was, you know, misestimating the time at the end and cutting off the Bucks little um, sportsmanship uh, moment with, with Cody and Dustin to bring out that check and, and Shad Khan being yeah. here and headlights and the whole weird thing. Um, I will say this. I think there's, there is some cart before horse stuff that's going on with AW and they're very excited to get out in front of things and create a buzz. I think they might have actually been better off being a little stealthier about the, how they, um, rolled Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen out and let people come to it rather than, um, rather than necessarily promote it in such spectacular fashion. And they were being, you know, press releases came out for each of those events a long time ago, but so there was some, there was time for people to anticipate and get excited. And uh, people were looking at it as a release valve. And it, I don't know if it necessarily provided that for them, but it boomeranged back to WWE in a constructive mm-hmm. way, as we mentioned. So I'm just, I'm going on and on here, but I'm looking forward to them really getting serious in the sense of saying, okay, we can't necessarily let everyone on the card. Um, you know, we, you know, there has to be some kind of, pro, you know, stories have to kind of progress from event to event and we got to stop doing this whole bookending the shows with um you know patting each other on the backs or being here stuff i think that all that needs to go and let's let's keep up some pretense of 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 kayfabe almost you know in you know from from start to finish at least and you know within the confines of the event and yeah, that's my like real, real brief synopsis. But like you said, I'll unspool a little bit in, in writing this week. Yeah, I think that the, the, their kind of main event scene is is what's most intriguing to me. Um, sort of, you know, the absence of Pac or Pac, sorry, who you mentioned earlier, uh, and then Kenny Omega, Adam Page, who seems to be kind of getting shotgunned into that role a little bit early because of Pac, Pac's absence, um, and yeah, then. 300%. And then, you know, Cody Rhodes uh, kind of being ostentatiously separate from that, uh, you know, part of the uh, part of the uh, the roster. Um, somebody mentioned this on, I think, on on Reddit this week, and I totally agree that, like, Pentagon Jr. has got to be a main eventer soon. I think that, like, the Lucha Brothers are just so, so over. And, and they, it soon is, you know, a matter of taste, I guess. But it's not going to take long when that weekly show debuts before I think it's clear that, like, the Lucha Brothers are like the most over guys on the roster, and it'll be kind of interesting, almost a almost a new day situation. It'll be interesting to see um, how quickly they decide to sort of pull the trigger on pushing one or both of those guys as singles because they can both do it, and they're both, um, you know, it's they're they're just like my favorite thing um, at about almost every AEW show. Uh, shouts to to Kenny Omega uh, who had another really great match, and um, and 
I've really enjoyed the Dark Order. <laughs> uh, I really there's uh-huh. there is a lot of fun stuff. I mean, and 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 I like that they just the six man tag match just in theory. I like that they just kind of put their sort of like second tier, you know, borderline headline players in a uh, in in like a you know in just kind of a six man match just to like give them screen time without wasting storytelling on a on a minor show. I think that was a that was an effective just storytelling tool. But I, overall, I thought it was really successful. I think that. Um, now the pressure's really on for uh, for all out to um, to to be insanely good, and I think that's a good amount. That's a good sort of pressure for AEW. I'm very excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, I mean, I think every, I think to some degree, you kind of have to understand that you know maybe while they should have approached this more like, hey, we're going to do secret shows in a few small clubs before we do our amphitheater tour. Maybe they should have had that more clandestine uh, approach. They didn't. They, they, you know, they, they put all their promotional muscle behind each of these events to the point where there was some confusion about what to expect, but okay. And that means it's fair game to say like, this is, you know, how uh, this is what we think about it now that we've gotten a look. Um, but, but we all need to just, um, you know, kind of be, ready to be fed it as wrestling fans. Cause really we're going to be sitting there just, just, you know, um, waiting to be Im- impressed and, and, and see who, um, who really courts us and courts our attention and our dollars and our time, uh, coming out of the, you know, going into the fourth quarter of, to put it in those terms of this year. Yeah. If this weekend was any indication, um, there will be a competition for our time. And I think for a lot of wrestling fans, just the more wrestling, the better. But I think that trying to get in some G1 matches and trying to watch these pay-per-views knowing that Raw and SmackDown were looming, all that stuff. It did feel like there was a lot of wrestling and to keep up, you know, to be, I mean, one of the things about wrestling, obviously that you want to watch it live or soon, as soon as you can, so that you can get online and talk about it or talk about it with your friends. And there's going to be a competition, whether or not it's a Monday night war, there's a competition for our, for our hours, you know, for, for our time. And, and I, and I, uh, and, or at least for our attention. And, um, uh, um, it's, it's exciting if a little bit, you know, exhausting but it's, it's definitely exciting it's exciting but personally and professionally because you know of course i don't only write about wrestling as you know i i i have a backlog of you know past episodes of everything from uh pose to um to let's see i'm looking at my dvr right now everything from pose to full frontal with samantha b that i would like to get to but the reason i haven't is directly related to how much wrestling i've been watching lately because you know there's also mlw's weekly show ring of oh, honor's yeah. weekly show which we don't even get into you know um and I, do, I, do, I will say this the more there the more wrestling there has been basically since aew has become a going concern the more um i have found myself watching other stuff and not that not at the expense of anything else i mean i think i'm just like more in the bubble than i've been in a long time i've been watching mlw I've been watching a little bit of Ring of Honor. Obviously, I talked about G1, and we got to get out of here. But I do want to say, if you haven't seen the Evolve show, it's worth it's on the WWE Network with worth at least dipping in and out of. Um, throw it on the background when you're doing something else and see what you can see. There's some obviously, if you're NXT fan, there's some cool appearances by Matt Riddle and uh, Adam Cole, Kira Tozawa. Um, but those the last two matches in particular. Um, if you live in the middle of nowhere, don't get to go to, you know, indie shows on the regular, even if you live somewhere. I mean, I don't, we've gone through stretches where I didn't go to indie shows a lot. Um, but that Austin Theory, J.D. Drake match, I thought was just like, like, it just captured what, like, good indie wrestling is all about in such a kind of fun and exciting way. Um so watch that and just like give yourself over to it. It's re- I mean, there's a lot of good stuff on this card. I'm kind of going to do a service to almost all of it. 
And then Adam Cole and, and Nakira Tozawa, you know, had an NXT championship match to headline the show to sort of put the card over. But, um, you know, it was a little bit of a house show match, but it was really well done. And I, I thought I thought it was a lot of fun. And it had a, um, I, did, I don't know, there was just like, it was just a small thing, but it felt like, it felt like um, there's always things for WWE to be learning in this era of competition and, and new leadership and everything else. And um, there were a lot of little things in that Evolve show that made me think, oh, I wish WWE did stuff like that. And the same thing with AEW. So, um, you know, hopefully hopefully there will be some learning. Hopefully there will be some evolving, uh, no pun intended. And uh, and hopefully, you know, we're on this, this road to SummerSlam is going to be, and, and to All Out is going to be incredible and awesome. I, I think, uh, and of course, we will do our best uh, between now and then to uh, continue to, I think, remind people of why they should be looking forward to this this upcoming stretch. And I really, I could, I am someone who tends to almost dread um, occasions in life, period, because it just means you have to be uh, preparing for it, and you have, and you create expectations, and you have to set aside time for to watch things or do things. I know it's too much pressure. However. I am I am genuinely uh, excited and and cannot wait um, for August. It cannot come soon enough be, because of SummerSlam and All Out and what that portends for what um, what the immediate future will hold. So that's all I'm, I sh- I am going to say in that regard. Um, well, thank you for doing this, Kenny. We got to get out of here. Jim just sent me a message that it's 25 years ago to the day that Hulk Hogan made his in ring debut at WCW Bash at the Beach, capturing. Wow. The WCW Heavyweight Championship from Ric Flair. Um, I can't believe it's been that long. I can't believe I'm so old. That was a really sad note, Jim, to go out on because now I just feel like a sorry, an old man. I will. It's especially striking when you realize, oh, I actually was sort of way past puberty when, when that happened and it was that long ago. So um, I'm still in puberty. I'm still going through it, but I was past it at that point um well thank you for going through this great life experience on this podcast today uh thank you. thanks thank everybody you. to listening thank you uh, all for indulging in all this wrestling talk with us apologies for the last week again and as always apologies to john moxley we'll see you back here next week humanoids i think i can speak for most wrestling fans when i say long-haired white guys with beards stupid sneakers leather jacket striped pants stupid coats green looking dreadlocks giant neck what are you going to do about it you piece of shit Um, i'm still in puberty i'm still going through it because you're a criminal and they don't let you cross the border